Hello and welcome to Soccer Raid Stories brought to you by Stat Sports. This is the brand new podcast series where in each episode, I'm joined by a different celebrity and a legendary footballer to talk about their childhood, their love of football, and of course, all things Soccer Aid for UNICEF. Soccer Aid is the world's largest celebrity football match. And over the years, we've raised over 47 million to support UNICEF's amazing work for children around the world. This year, it's all of us against COVID for every child everywhere. Every donation will be doubled up to 6.3 million until the 30th of November, thanks to the Children's Investment Fund Foundation, so you'll make double the difference for children. Right, let's meet today's guests. Our first guest is a member of TV royalty, and he's not a bad footballer either, having played in no less than seven Soccer Aid for UNICEF matches. It's the one, the only, Ben Shepherd. And alongside Ben is a Man City legend who has been given the nicknames The Destroyer and The Lawnmower for the way he used to run the midfield. Welcome to the show, Nigel De Jong. Thank you so much. I've got the toughest man I've ever played with, <laughs> Ben Shepherd, with the soon-to-be the toughest man Soccer Aid this year, Nigel De Jong. So thank you so much for you guys for joining me on the Soccer Aid Stories podcast. I'm a bit nervous, actually. It's it's This is... I feel like it's going to be, there feels like a bit of tension here. I've got the two toughest men. <laughs> I feel like I need Aker Davids to come in the mix. Where's Edgar at? You know what you have to, you have to, you have to understand, Oli, you know, like we can be tough men on the pitch, right? But outside of the pitch, off the pitch, we're proper blokes. You can always have a crack of a laugh. You know, you can always, always have, have good fun. And I mean, it, it, that's just, I think in both of us, I, I speak for myself, but I can think, I think I can speak for Ben as well. As soon as you've been on that pitch, that goes, the switch goes on and you have no friends. You want to win. It's competitive nature that we have, you know? So it's all good. Don't be nervous. We ain't going to bite you from a distance <laughs> behind a laptop, behind a tablet. So don't worry about it. I should hold my hand up here. I've never considered myself tough on the pit, Nigel. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just over-enthusiastic, Ollie. It's just enthusiasm. That's a lie. I remember looking in, I remember looking in Shep's eyes the first year I did Soccer Aid. And I remember, you know, I'd, I'd met Ben a few times on a few TV shows and, you know, he's mm. such a lovely, kind gentleman, very respectful, very lovely. And I'm just thinking, wow, after like five, 10 minutes of being on the pitch with me, he's like two foot in Zidane. He's like flying into Edgar <laughs> Davids. And I'm like, listen, if Zidane's got the ball there, I'm thinking I'd love to two foot Zidane, but I kind of think this is one of the greatest players that ever lived. I'm just going to try and go and get the ball. Ben's like, no. <laughs> I'm just going to completely clean this guy out. Can I just make a point, by the way, Nigel, before Ollie completely besmirks my reputation, there have been one or two poor tackles in Soccer Aid, admittedly. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Ben Shepard is the only person I've ever seen get sent off in a charity match. No, 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 we can come to that. But my tackle on Zinedine Zidane, perhaps one of the greatest footballers ever, was described by the commentators as world-class. I got the ball, Ollie. It might have been the only tackle ever, but I definitely got the ball. You did get the ball, Ben, you did. I'm I'm giving you a disservice there. But listen, by the way, Nigel, Ben's a fantastic player. We're actually gonna, we've actually missed him a lot around the place and in the dressing room and being in the team. So I'm really gutted you're not going to be doing it this year, Ben. Uh, me too, mate. Yeah, me too. I'm, gu- I'm gutted, you know, because this, for me, this is my first Soccer 8, obvious, because I was uh, still currently playing. So I, ne- I never could make it to, uh, to one of the Soccer 8 events. But I'm looking forward, you know, to go to the Soccer 8. But unfortunately, Ben is not there, but... But I said, let him recover first. We don't want no excuses when we, we link up and we collide on the pitch. You know, I, want him, I want him a proper 400% fit on the pitch. 
I have a feeling this injury might last a bit longer than was planned. <laughs> if that's the case, um, and obviously, Nigel, we've had some we've had some great Dutch players come and play soccer. Aid. We've had Cliver, we've had Clarence Seedorf, we've had Edgar Davids. So, but can I just say, for me, Seedorf was the best, one of the best, if not the best player we've ever I've ever played against in soccer. Because he'd just been playing in Italy when he came. Genuinely, of all the players we've had, when I talked to some of the boys. Clarence Seedorf was absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. What an amazing player. And what about, his fit, what about his fitness level, though? I was just about to say, he was such an athlete. And I actually, I think I'm, I agree with you, Ben. When he came and did the first soccer aid, I was like, wow, this guy had only probably been out of playing for a year or two. And he was still unbelievably fit. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know. Because I remember when he retired from, um, from football at Botafogo. He became the manager of AC Milan, and I was there at that time. That's right. So when he stopped playing football, he was just keeping himself fit for a year, two years, and ever since. And he's just a machine. If you see how his, how how his how his how his work ethic is, and but also the love of the game is unbelievable. Nigel, he was so 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 fit, and we we didn't know what to do because he was he was absolutely running the pitch. So I, Big Sam was the manager at the time, right? And I'd said, let me man Mark. Clarence, I'll just stay on him and I can't get near him, but I'll just, I'll just annoy him. Yeah. And I just got in his way and I just kicked the ball out and I was just always there. And we ended up winning the game and Peter Reed came onto the pitch afterwards as, as me and Clarence were walking out and he said, here, Ben, let Clarence out your pocket now. The game's over. <laughs> and, I, and we were laughing. And Clarence said to me afterwards on the bus, he said, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you marking me? I was having a great time till you got in the way. Yeah. And I said, can I just say, can I just say, there's rumours that you might be coming to West Ham. So I never actually kicked you because I'm a West Ham fan. And if you could come to West Ham, that'd be really, really brilliant. I was just doing what I was told. <laughs> but the thing about Clarence was he he actually won. Such a lovely guy, by the way, as well. Like, so lovely. Yeah, he was fantastic. he was great with everyone. But he honestly could have signed for any club at the time. I think so as well. You know, he's he's, he's like a big brother for, for me. You know, I know him pretty well uh, since I was uh, seven or eight years old. So wow. I know him pretty well. And... You know, the way how he is, how he is as a human being, but also the competitor that he is. He's just the type of guy that he loves football. He got such a big plan. He just wants to do it all. We call him the professor or the president sometimes. We call him President Obama sometimes because he's just that guy, the guy that wants to solve everything uh. in the world. You know, when it comes down to football related, you know, health related or whatever. He's that type of guy. He got, he got such a big heart. And I think because of that, like, he had to stop in a, in a stage that, he doesn't want to continue anymore and want to do different stuff. So that's why you see him now also. When you see him, he's doing a lot of summits. He's giving a lot of lectures. Did you play in the same team as him at any point? Did you play in the national team or? Yeah, no, he's he's older, right? So he's an older generation, but I was always underneath him. So when I when I come through, came through the ranks of Ajax Amsterdam in the academy, he was he was that young kid at Ajax, Ajax uh, the first team of Ajax. You remember that team with Van Gaal wow. that won the Champions League in 95. So he was like, he debuted when he was 16. So he's, he was 16, wow. 17. So I was a young kid playing in an academy, looking up to these guys. So you had Davids, Bogarder, Kluivert, uh, Seedorf, uh, the, the brothers De Boer, Blind, Rijkaard, you know, all these, Mark Overmars, Tunidi George, Kanu. What a team. That's an all right team, isn't it? That's an all right team. <laughs> yeah, there was a team back in the days. But he was always standing out because he was, he, he's so mature. He was so mature for his age. And the way how he was thinking, he was always thinking one step ahead. He could see it also the way how he was playing. Oh, you know? yeah, so uh, now he was a fantastic guy. And I, I bet, you know, like you guys had, uh, had a lot of fun watching him as well on the pitch. Um, well, listen, 
Well, the reason we're doing the podcast is to raise money for UNICEF and the great work they obviously do for the children around the world. So let's get back. I want to go back to the beginning of both your lives of where it all began. So Sheps, I'm going to, I'm going to come to you first. So when did you start playing football? When was it? Can you remember the early days? It was really, I was relatively late, really, Ollie, because I was the, the state school I went to in Epping. There was no extracurricular sport during the 80s because of something that was going on with the National Union of Teachers. They weren't doing any extracurricular. So we didn't have a football team. I played rugby on the weekends on a Sunday with my family. So it was a lot of mini rugby. And, and I played a little bit for the Cub Scouts. But I actually didn't play 11 aside proper football till I was 11. And I, I changed schools. So I really, and I'd always wanted to play. I used to have a kickabout in the park with my mates, but I never had a team and I never played proper football till I was 11 years old, which... Very late. Which I was, so I wonder what my... Yeah, really late, isn't it? When you think about it now. Mm. And I loved it because I went to a football school. I went to Chigwell, where Wrighty went a few years below me. But I went to a school where it was football, 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 all day, every day, Saturdays as well. So I was suddenly playing football Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, and then rugby on a Sunday. And the opportunity to be around... The lads I was playing with, get to know them, learn about teamwork, understand about passing the ball, understand that you're going to play with people that are better than you and play with people that are worse than you and how you can still incorporate them into the team as, a, as an 11-year-old coming to that and then going through those teenage years. It's incredibly instructive just in terms of broadening who I was and my understanding of the world. I, and I just fell in love. I fell in love with football. I mean, sport full stop. I played everything. It, was, it wasn't until I was 11 that I really started playing. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, what about you, Nigel? When did you start? Well, I started, I started, you know, like in Holland, football is the number one sport. So there's always a ball around the house or around you as well. So I started playing football on the streets here. There was no amateur clubs whatsoever because street football in Holland, I don't know if you're aware about it, is very big, especially back in the days because we didn't have the social media. We didn't have the PlayStations whatsoever. So the only thing you could do is go outside, take a ball and go to different neighborhoods and just like play against different teams in different neighborhoods. So that's what I was doing when I was young. I was like about five or six years old when I started playing on, uh, on the streets. And then eventually, because I loved it so much, my mom, she wrote me in an amateur club. Uh, and then I started from there. I was like seven years old when I played my first minutes for an amateur club with a proper kit, you know, with proper teammates, going to the club with your bag whatsoever. And then um, that transition from playing in the amateur club and playing on the streets got me uh, invited to the, the famous, back then famous IX Academy. And that was in 92, 93, wow. I think. So two years in playing in the, as a, on an amateur level, I started to play with the IX Academy. So I, I was like eight or nine years old. Nigel, was there anyone in your family that had a football history that had been semi-pro or professional? Yeah, my dad. My dad was a professional football player. So my dad was a, football, a professional football player. But my dad and my mom got separated on a young age. I was about three years old when they got separated. Nevertheless, you always look up to somebody. So my dad was a professional football player. He was playing for PSV Eindhoven back then. And of course, wow. as a kid... You try to emulate that. So you always wanted to look up and you always like wanted to be in your footsteps, the footsteps of your dad. That was kind of my, my goal kind of way, just to go through that road. I was always minding my business with a ball. If it was a tennis ball, it was a normal football ball. It was always a ball around me. And that together with the competitiveness and, and, and the energy that was on the street as well in Amsterdam. That just made me in love with the game. Now, we're talking about that. You were saying you, you played football on the streets. Is that is that where you got your toughness from? Do you think the type of player that you are was was it was it that kind of was it aggressive or what are we talking about? Because me and my friends used to do. We used to play street football, but we there would be three from my 
where my estate was, there was three of us that played in a team. And then we would ask, we would go to the next street and say, hey, have you guys got three players? We'll have a little kick about them. And it used to get really competitive. And, and it was almost like different, because different parts of Essex where I was from, there was different gangs or different rivals and stuff like that. Was, was that what it was like for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have to say, you know, like I come from a, a, a rough neighborhood in Amsterdam, in Amsterdam West. So you have to have a survival mode. Plus, because I was so young, I was always hanging out with older people, right? With the older guys. And because I had talent for the game, they always picked me in their team. But you have to understand, if you go from court to court, that is not just one team playing against another. There's one team and there's six other teams waiting in line, you know, to play and to have the right to play the game. So you have to have that edge. You have to have that competitiveness. Because if you lose, it might take you up a good 30 minutes, 35 <laughs> minutes to be back on the court again. So winner stays on. Yeah, exactly. The winner stays on. If you're lost, you have to wait for a long time to come back on because these games were not just like five minutes. Okay, let's go. No, it was like a proper 10 to yeah. 15 minutes battle because nobody wanted, to, wanted lose. to lose. So I think because of that, you know, I had my competitive nature. I had that survival mode and also the toughness. That winning mentality as well. Like that probably that winning mentality that you have. Oh yeah, the winning mentality. Yeah. Oh, I hate losing in anything. Yeah. <laughs> Forget about the football. I mean, when I play cards now with my kids, you think I let them win? Oh, hell no. No chance. But listen, you're going to come and do soccer this year. You know, I'd get used to the idea you're probably going to lose. Yeah, get yeah. used to losing. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. No, it's so lovely for us to sit here and talk about growing up and the, and the, the things that we did as kids. And I, I'm talking about street football. I remember going over to Kenya and doing a UNICEF trip myself for soccer aid and it really does bring kids together the importance of of being able to just kick a football on a, on some grass and what they the the money that we raise during this it really does change kids lives especially not just in kenya around the world there's that thing isn't there as well because nigel's dutch we're from england but i've been lucky enough ollie to travel to other parts of the world i went to haiti not long after the earthquake that they had over there and then one of the refugee camps that have been built up there's all these kids and one of them had a football and then and then suddenly we were all brought together by a love of football. We, they couldn't speak English and I couldn't really particularly communicate particularly well with them. But what we could all do was play football and really bond over that game of football, the love of football and just the enjoyment, the pure joy. Forget everything else that's going on. That's the other thing that I always loved about being able to play, particularly if I'd get together with my mates. When you're running around chasing a ball and you're in a competitive match of five aside or three aside or three and in or Wembley or whatever the game is you play, whether it's 11 aside soccer aid in front of thousands of people or whether it's just in the park you just forget what's going on and you just you lose yourself in that game and it's a sort of a universal language and there's nothing more exciting for me now I mean Nigel you've got kids mm -hmm. I watch my boys play and I enjoy that if not more than me playing I enjoy watching them play because I see they're getting the fulfillment of of this love that I've always had and you can see them the beaming smiles on their face the focus for whatever it might be, and mostly just being able to forget all the other stuff that's going on and just enjoy that moment. No, you're absolutely spot on, uh, Ben. 100%. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's a universal language if you're talking about football mm. in general. You know, I've been to I've been to Kenya three months ago, first Tanzania, and then I went to Kenya. And what you said just was spot on. As soon as you get a ball somewhere and you, you, you plant it in the middle of a village and you got 20 kids around it, they forget for every stress that they have. So Spot it's a on. it's a great it's a great way to interact, you know, uh, sports in general, but especially football because football is the number one sport in the world, and everybody watches it one way or another. And every kid around the world should be able to play football. So that's why we do soccer aid. That's why we do it. That's why we're here to raise 
lots of money. Soccer Aid for UNICEF takes place at the Etihad Stadium on Saturday, the 4th of September, and you can buy your tickets at soccerade.org.uk. I just wanted to talk about your careers as well, which is, Nigel, coming to you of your football career. Like, you obviously went to the IX Academy, and what was it like breaking into the first team? What was it like becoming a professional football player? That's something you've obviously aspired to be for so long. You've made it. Like, what was it like being at Ajax and then moving on from there? It's a boyhood dream for me. I mean, Ajax it's, it's always, all, has always been my uh, number one club and also the club that I supported till this, till this day. So when you're born and raised in Amsterdam, Ajax Amsterdam is just the, the, the team to support, the, to support. So for me as well, going through that stage and going to the academy, you know, it's a dream come true as a little kid. So when I was in the age of eight years old, eight, nine years old, and I, I had my first kit on with Ajax, you know, um, I, saw, I saw my mom full with pride. I mean, it's the best thing that could ever happen to me as a, as a young kid. And then, of course, you got the whole, the whole path and the whole way towards the first team, the grind, the amount of effort you have to put in, the training sessions that they put in, going through your teenage years, you know, leaving a lot of stuff behind, not going to go with clubbing with your, with your mates, always got to stay focused. But to eventually make it to the first team is the best thing. I always say, like, you know, a lot of people always ask me, you know, what, like, what is the best thing as a professional a football player to have? I say it's the road to success. It's way harder to stay there, but it's the road towards you want to be. That's the best feeling ever. You can have success. Success can, can, can maintain for a long time. It just depends on what kind of effort you put in. But it's the road from being a young boy towards that maturity, towards where you really want to be. That road and that process is the best feeling ever. So I have fun memories, you know, over my growing up and also develop myself in a football player because that's the best way. And I'm really fortunate that I played for Ajax, you know. So I'm just happy. I was just, I was just happy, man. It's interesting, Ollie. Listen to that, isn't it? Because, yeah, I mean, you played a higher level football than me. But we just had the Olympics. And I think one of the things that I'm always struck by, by the Olympians that achieve these extraordinary feats and get gold medals, silver medals, bronze medals or whatever, is they often say it's the drive to get there and the challenges that are put in front of themselves to get to the line yeah. is almost more satisfying than getting the medal itself. The medal is almost a relief. Yes, there's celebration, there's excitement. But when they look back, I mean, you, you hear a number of those Olympians say, Actually, it was just a relief when I finished because it was over. I could stop thinking about it. I've got the medal. It was the journey there, the discipline that was put in, the hard yards, the hard work. It's the, you know, having to deprive yourself of going out with your mates, having to be really diligent about what you're eating, about your training regime. I mean, that focus and that drive is something that I've always aspired to. You know me, I'd love training still to this day. And I think that if I could have done anything, I would have loved to have been a professional sportsman in some capacity. Unfortunately, I was never good enough at anything. But it didn't stop me wanting to try. And I just admire that so much. So to hear you say it was, it's the road to the success is, is what you look back on and, and have such great pride in. Yeah, because, you know, like, if you think about it, everybody can have success in a different kind of way, in a different kind of shape. There's no better and no greater pleasure in the way that the road towards success, because after that, everything becomes like, goes on automatic pilot, the way amount of games that you have to play, the amount of performance you have to give. But the way to making it and that people really recognize the talent in you and the quality in you, that's the, that's the best feeling mm. in the world. You know what I mean? And then it's on you to maintain it, obviously, because sure. then you have to put the work and the effort to stay on that, on, that, on that plateau. I always wanted to be a professional football player and I was never, never good enough. But 
I actually took a lot of, of what you just spoke about then into my success in my music career. People think that, oh, I, I must just get up on stage and sing at the O2 with no preparation, no work. I mean, I spend months and months working on my voice, working on my vocal abilities, working on my stage performance, working on my fitness. And a bit like you just said, when I actually finished that, when I have that moment at the O2, I actually never really enjoyed that moment sometimes because I'm just relieved that I've got to that point and I've been able to do such an amazing show. The, the, the last six months or the last two years, I've worked to, to get to this point. And, and actually, I, I always use that mindset, like you just said, you know, obviously we're going to be playing at Manchester City this year. And obviously the first time we've done that at Soccer Aid, um, we're going to be at the Etihad. And obviously you played at City for four seasons. What was it like playing there? Did you enjoy it? It eventually was fantastic to play. You know, my first year, you got to understand, my first year, I came in the uh, in the time that City was was bungling a little bit, like hanging around in the, in the second the second side of the table, you know, like at the other side of the table. So we were like 11 and 12. And I remember the time that I came at Carrington and it was an, uh, a kidman there, famous kidman, Les Chapman, uh, Chappie we called him. He was the main kidman there. And I, I clearly remember because I came from Germany in Hamburg and everything. I don't know if you know a little bit of Germany. Germans in general, everything is structured, right? Everything is structured. Your kids are on play. There's shoes on place. Everything is structured, structured. I came to to England. I came to City. I came in a dress room. And I remember he was throwing a basket with full of clothes in the middle. I said, here you go, let's. And I was like, what do you mean, here you go, let's? What are you talking about? <laughs> and everybody was fighting over the best quality shorts, socks, no sweater. That they can and have. Manchester City. Yeah, that they can wow. have at Manchester City, yeah. And I was I was flabbergasted. I'm like, are you are you guys serious? That's what we do on, for my team, Coggeshall. We're semi-professional level. Yeah, it brought me back to my amateur days. And don't forget, I just got signed for 18 million pounds. So I came in there like thinking, <laughs> oh, I was the main guy. You know what I mean? Like wearing an extra large an extra large pair of shorts in your first game. <laughs> extra large, yeah. And everybody was fighting over a different kind of number sweater with a different wow. kind of number shorts, like with like half of socks and stuff like that. I was at, when I did my knee, we were playing in cup final. That's exactly what happened. There was some shirts on the side. It was you had to grab a shirt and try and not get left with the triple XLs that had been ordered. It had been left in two seasons. <laughs> Otherwise, you're running around like looking like a clown. It was oh, exactly, a, exactly. Can't imagine that a city now, though, eh? No, no. That's what I love about it because I, I came in a time the city was not the city that it is right now. So I really seen how uh, the development from mm, how it was before shift. and how it is now, and especially also with the first successes that we had during the spell that I was there with Mancini, you know, the winning the FA Cup, winning the Prem for the first time after a drought of 30 plus years. So it was a great transition to see. So I really appreciate from how City is right now because I've seen how it was before. And now to see the transition and how they are right now, it's, it's, it's a joy for me to see. But in my four years time, but I had a great spell, man, guys. I mean, you know, the spell that I had at City was fantastic. We won, we won, we won the, the first one that brought the success back into the club. You know, we have a fantastic team. So it was, uh, it was an amazing time. Do you think Mancini was a massive part to play in that? Obviously, he we saw him win the Euros with, with Italy. I mean, he's a fantastic manager, isn't he? He is a fantastic manager. And you really get the credits now that he, that he deserves. Because back in the day, you know, he didn't really get the, enough credits for what he did for City and also for multiple clubs after that. You know, he went to Inter to be successful. But I think what Mancini brought in that Manchester City team was thinking defensive-wise, have a base of the defense first. Italians are always based on defense first and then 
we go forward. So under the spell, because we had Sparky, Mark Hughes before as a manager, yeah. and he didn't really have that mindset. His mindset was attacking minded football. In that time, we, 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 we were too sloppy in the back. So when Mancini came in, he said, okay, let us sort the defense out first, and then we go forward from there. So he set that team out. You know, he, had his, he had his back four set up, and then his midfield, obvious. And then he went from there, he went forward, and he had multiple options. He also had, and is, perhaps the most impossibly stylish manager there has ever been. I don't know if you thought this, Oli, but during the Euros as well, the way he carried off the look of the Italian so management cool. team with the sort of the, the flames and the <laughs> yeah, slaps, yeah. he just... Did he always look like that, Nigel? Was he always carried that sort of charisma and that style around the club? Always. But let me tell you this, yeah. This is an Italian thing. Italians are really fond about fashion and the way how they look and the structure that they have. You, you will be really surprised what kind of structure Italians have. They always have like a cup of coffee in the morning. They have the particular breakfast that they have, the way how they dress themselves. They always have on their shirts. They have the initials on their shirts, kid done. You know what I mean? It's a particular way of, of, of living and also a particular way of a lifestyle that they have. Because after City, I went to Milan for four years. So I've seen it firsthand how, how the culture is. And Mancini brought that swag. He brought that swag, you know, in the team. We always look at him like, oh, hey, he can, he can dress himself. You know, even though yeah. sometimes it was kind of a funny kind of style that he had with funny kind of shoes and stuff like that. <laughs> because you have to think about it. This was 12 years ago, eh? 11 years yeah. ago. It's not as accepted then than it is now. So we look always kind of funny, like, but we got to give credit where credit's due. He always looked the part, though. You know, on match days, on games when he came, on days when he came in the dressing room and training session whatsoever. So he always looked the part, though. You was obviously there for the Aguero moment, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started the, I started the attack. Just look back on that moment. I started that uh, that offensive attack, that last one. Is it, hold on. Hasn't every Manchester City player at some point said, <laughs> I started that attack? No. Everyone's, everyone's, everyone's no, taking credit for it. No, no it was Nigel De Jong. It was Nigel De Jong. Because images don't lie. So just look back. <laughs> And then you can, and then you can see who started that that, that attack. Can talk us through that game because I remember I remember being a United fan. I was actually in Australia at the time, so I was watching both the games. I was flicking from channel to channel, and I had I'm um, watching United against Sunderland. We just won the game. There's that moment at the end. I'm flicking watching the QPR game against City, and I'm like, I can't believe QPR are, are winning this game. And then Jeco scores. And then talk us through that last few minutes because it was just, I mean, even as a Manchester United fan, it pains me to say it was an incredible moment. It really was. It was. It was an incredible moment. It is one of them moments in Premier League history and football history. Every time you hear Martin Tyler, the commentator, go, Aguero! What was that moment like? I mean, it was a, it was a fantastic moment till we scored that 3-2, obvious. Everything before that was a miserable feeling <laughs> because you could really see that you could see the, the disappointment on the on the fans, their faces. But not only that, you know, like we looked at each other on the pitch and without saying to each other, we said to each other, if we lose this game, yeah, that's it. We can never show ourselves in the city anymore. We will be always a disgrace. We always be that team that, that bottled it against Fergus United. You know what I mean? You could never show your face anymore. And I think because of that, what we've seen in each other, that shame and that disgrace of the, of the football fans, we said, like, okay, let's just pump it up a notch and just go for it all in. Of course, it helped also Joey Barton got a yeah, red card. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. So they already came back with 10 men, you know what I mean? So they were just sitting in front of that defense and try to just clear everything away. So it gave us a little bit more time to put the pressure on. So when Draco scored, I remember he taking the ball off the goalkeeper, running back towards the midline put the ball back down. And I think we had like one minute left or something like that. And then Nigel De Jong got the ball 
and he found Yeah, no, QPR QPR <laughs> got the ball after the 2-2. They kicked it long just to get out of the out of the way because they, they were not fancy to play in back anymore. Of course, after after the 2-2, um, I received the ball and I drove the ball into the midfield. And I was actually trying to play it outside the David Silva because he was standing on the right side. Uh, Sergio Aguero coming, he was dropping off. So I was like, you know what? Let me just play it through the middle. And then he takes the ball from there. And then he he, he goes to the team, or goes to the box. And of course, what he did, he made a one-two with Mario Balotelli. And let, let me give you a fact, right? This is how crazy this moment was. Did you know that the only assist that Mario Balotelli gave at his City career in three years' time was that ball against for, for Sergio Aguero? No way. No. His only one. That is his only assist that he gave. That's the only time Mario Balotelli passed the The only ball. time that he gave an assist. <laughs> <laughs> so just to make things more crazy wow. and more, more special, it was that moment that he gave that. In his City career, he famously... Paid for everyone's petrol at the petrol station, set his bathroom <laughs> on fire by lighting yeah. fireworks in his bathroom, yeah. and providing the pass that won the league for the first time in every. I mean, I'd say that's a pretty successful career. It's pretty successful. That's a pretty successful career. Yeah, he's a legend, regardless. Was he the craziest teammate you ever had? One of the most craziest teammates. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think he's one of the most craziest teammates. He's a character, you know. And the th- the thing is, like, yeah, who else? I mean, hang on a minute. It's Barrow Balotelli. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got some. You got some in the past. <laughs> if you look at the history of football, I mean, you guys, you guys are English. You guys have some some crazy nutcases as well. You know, when it came <laughs> yeah. down to football players. That's true. No, but um, and then that moment happened because Sergio Aguero got the ball back from Mario Balotelli, and I don't know if you guys remember, he got tackled by Taiwo on his ankle. And I was looking in the back, like, go down, because this is an obvious yeah. penalty. Yeah, because he could see his ankle was just flipping, just flip. And I was like, go down, penalty. But Sergio was Sergio. You know, he was so determined to score that goal. You must have known, and you must. You obviously trained with him day in, day out. I mean, that season, he scored lots of goals. I mean, we've watched him throughout his career at Man City. And I remember when he was at Atletico Madrid, and, I mean, he was such a goal scorer. So you must have felt when he got the ball... This was it. I mean, he he very rarely misses, doesn't he? Of course. I mean, there are a couple of, of, of strikers that you want the ball in the last minute to score a goal. You know, there are a couple of players around the world that you know that you when you give them the ball, there's opportunity to score a goal. And, and Sergio was one of them. You know, you got Sergio, you got... I played with a couple of strikers, but Sergio was one of them. You know, uh, the likes of Carlos Tevez was another one. Ruth von Nistelrooy was another one. You know, you could just give certain players the ball inside of that box and you knew, like, at least there came a shot on target. There was a chance for us to score a goal. And he was one of them. So if somebody had to do it of that season, it was him. Because he had, a, he had an amazing season. His debut oh, year. It was just unbelievable unreal. goals. Yeah, it was, uh, he was an unbelievable goal scorer. And uh, I'm happy that he scored it. Yeah, well, let's hope we can create some amazing moments on Saturday, the 4th of September. Obviously, at the Etihad for the very first time. It's going to be an amazing, amazing night. This year, Soccer Aid for UNICEF is all of us against COVID for every child everywhere because kids won't be safe until everyone they rely on is safe. To give 30, 20 or £10, text 30, 20 or 10 to 70818. Text costs your donation plus one standard rate message. You must be 16 or over and please ask the bill payers permission. All donation routes close on the 6th of October 2021 at 5pm. See T's and C's and privacy notice at itv.com or stv.tv. Um, I just want to come to you, Ben. Obviously, you know, you're a Soccer Aid legend, really. You've been with us for such a long time. Obviously, the last few years, we haven't had you a part of it. Played seven, won four and lost three. 
in Soccer Aid. Right, so okay. you've got a good record. But what I'm really impressed with is the players you've actually played with. Now, Nigel De Jong, I'm sure you've played with some absolute top players. Actually, you know what? I'm going to tell Nigel, the players that Ben has played with, okay? He's played with Paul Gascoigne, Alan Shearer, Martin Keown, Robbie Fowler, Sol Campbell, Michael Owen, and of course, Joe Cole. You're a massive West Ham fan. Legend. But this yeah. is the team. These are the players that Ben's played against, <laughs> Nigel, right? Listen to these names. Eric Cantona, Roberto Carlos, Dimitar Berbatov, Ronaldinho, Roy Keane, oh, yeah. Figo, Paolo Di Canio, Yap Stam, Gianfranco Zola, Zinedine Zidane. And this one I, I can't believe because I, I, I obviously was a few years out from doing this one. But you actually played against the incredible Maradona. Maradona, yeah. I've seen I've seen the clips. Sick. You should have said Diego Maradona in the beginning and that was over. You should like just drop the mic. You said Diego Maradona, drop the mic. That's it. <laughs> do you know what, Nigel? I was going to do that. I, I, I was going to do that, but I always wanted to, to show you the amount of names. Build the, the build it. up to it. I mean, yeah. the, the amount of people. And, and Nigel, you're going to be added to that list, I'm sure. We've got so many amazing people who have done it over the years. And to have Maradona do it. Wow. Here's the thing, Ollie. So I'm good friends with Robbie and Johnny, who came up with the idea of Soccer Aid. And I remember talking to them and saying, Ben, we've got this idea. We want to do this game. We want to do this game. Soccer Aid for UNICEF. We want to try and raise as much money as we can. We're thinking of getting some former international players from around the world to play against the team of former international players from England. And we've put some celebs in and we're going to do it at Old Trafford. We're going to try and sell out Old Trafford. And I said, well, who are you thinking of? And at the time... Johnny was saying, oh, we've got Shearer and Sheringham, amazing. Tony Adams, brilliant. David Seaman, brilliant. Graham so yes. Okay, so they're English players. What, what about the rest of the world? Well, here's the thing. We think we're going to get Maradona to play. And I'm like, no chance. What are you talking about? We're having a kick around at Old Trafford with Maradona. Oh, and by the way, Pierluigi Colina is going to referee it as well. He was at the time when we did this. He was like the greatest referee there was. You'll know, Nigel. He was, mm -hmm. At the time, he was extraordinary. And it just was a surreal conversation. And even to the point where we were on the pitch and I was playing centre-back and Robbie was playing left-back. And I've, Robbie's told this story before, but there was this amazing moment that we played this game here in the UK, Nigel, when you're growing up as a kid called Three and In or, or Wembley or whatever. And you'd, mm -hmm. you'd go to your mates, like it'd be me and Ollie playing. And I'd go, right, Ollie, I'll be Paul Gascoigne. You can be Teddy Sheringham. And you don't play as yourself. You play yeah. as Teddy or you play as... So when you're running back, I'd say to, I'd say to Ollie, or Ollie, quick, Paul Gascoigne's on your right shoulder, but it would be me or whatever it was. Do you know what yeah. I mean? We'd mess around. At one point, the rest of the world are attacking at Old Trafford, at a full stadium, and I shouted to Rob. I said, Rob, Rob, Maradona on your left shoulder. We weren't playing three and in. We weren't kids. It was like being kids. It was the actual Maradona <laughs> on his left shoulder. <laughs> there's this moment where Robbie goes after him. Then he looked back at me. We both just burst out laughing. It was like, that's how surreal it has been. As, as kids that grew up, and adults that love watching football. It's been an absolute privilege to be a part of, to, to play along the side of world-class players like yourself, Nigel. And it, it makes mm. such a difference for the whole spirit of the game that, that those professionals have given their time and effort. They really enjoy it as well. The fans can come and cheer because Ollie's there and they love his music or cheer because, you know, their favourite team player is, is there, whether it's for me, Paolo Di Canio was an absolute hero of mine. Playing against him was one of my absolute dreams. And at the same time, our love of football is just helping UNICEF help so many kids around the world that, that they're going to benefit from 
this experience you know all we ever dreamed of as as kids growing up and still now to this day is being professional footballers and for that moment for those few days when we're part yeah. of soccer aid we get a little taste of that and it's incredibly special and never can i underestimate just how important that is and what a privilege and an honor it is to be a part of. Fantastic. Well, that's the, that's the beautiful thing about, you know, events like this and, uh, and matches, you know, for charity, especially the ones that UNICEF is doing right now with Soccer Rate, you know, and you have a couple of others as well around the world. Professional football players, at the end of the day, when we do things like this, that little kid in us comes outside because we just want to enjoy. We don't have a good fun. Always have that competitive nature in, inside of us and the competitive edge. But how good is it? that you can raise awareness, you can raise money for a good cause, but at the same time, you can just enjoy as a little kid and just mess about on the pitch with each other. Yeah. If it is friends, if it is colleagues, if it is former colleagues whatsoever. So that's why I always love to see things like this, you know, charity matches, events like this, that everybody comes together from, from different cultures. This is one you'll like no other. And there's a, a brilliant, just you mentioned Ronaldinho, I just had a flashback on it, I don't know if you remember this, yeah. and we stopped off on the M6 going up to Manchester and we stopped at a service station and we've gone in and Ronaldinho just happened to be stood by the Costa Coffee having a cup of coffee. Ronald and we picked him up on the bus. It was like we'd stop. It's like on a Sunday morning when you've got to pick up your mate and he's a little bit late and yeah, you've got to get to pick up on time. But it was Ronaldinho in his tracksuit having, having a Costa Coffee. Do you remember that, Ol? I, no, well, I remember the night before when we was out in Chelsea and we had, so we had a dance-off and Kathy was in the middle <laughs> dancing away with Paddy. The Brazilian hits were going, weren't they? With Paddy McGuinness. We had... All these players around us, professional and like you say, celebrities and everything. It was one of the moments you look around and you go, wow, all these people wow. in one room together and we're all here for such a great cause, a great charity. We're all going to play a game at Old Trafford in front of 70,000 people. And like this year, we're going to be doing it. The Etihad for Soccer Aid that's raised nearly, I mean, get this, nearly 50 million which is just incredible, the amount of money we've raised and how many children's lives are going to be changing through that money. So I just want to thank you both so much for being a part of Soccer Aid Stories. It's been amazing having you here today. If anyone wants to get tickets, please go to soccerade.org.uk. You will see the amazing Nigel de Jong in midfield crying when England wins. <laughs> and you'll see Ben Shepherd, I'm sure, cheering us on at home but we will miss you ben and nigel i look forward to seeing you on saturday the 4th of september yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna miss you all I'll, can't wait for my knee to get better nigel enjoy every single moment of it because if i get back fit next year we can we can come together <laughs> wherever the match might be i look forward to that soccer a 2022 i'm definitely looking forward to that man i'm definitely looking forward <laughs> to that. i mean it's, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you and to be part of this uh, fantastic charity event uh, and looking forward to the match of course in my home stadium and what I said yeah. as well, you know, there will be a time that we will collide on the pitch. It's been an absolute pleasure and I hope to see you guys very soon. Pleasure.